Welcome to Bonjola, a podcast about two women, Amy and Rebecca, who each moved from the United States to Europe to become expats, Amy to Spain and Rebecca to France. We're here to share the highs, the lows, and the logistics of this adventure, encourage you to follow your own move abroad dreams, and remind you that you're not alone when the going gets tough. Enjoy! Bonjola, Rebecca. Bonjola, Amy. You have achieved a major milestone since we last spoke. Yes, I have turned in my paperwork to the country of France to ask them if I can please come live there. And they have my passport, so I can't leave the country right now. We have 31 days until we show up in Paris. I am without passports, but they are, like I said, in their hands. So now the waiting game is for them to approve, officially approve the paperwork. It'll show up in the mail. And I'm still nervous because I still have that cat health certificate stuff. And that doesn't happen until 10 days before we leave. But aside from that, this was a huge milestone. And I am excited to tell people how it went because I know how nervous I was. And some insight into that would have been delightful to have. (laughs) Just out of curiosity, I know on the Spain end of things, what to expect from the consulate after you submit paperwork from the U.S., because that was the original plan we were going through. What is the turnaround time after you submit your application for the French consulate to approve it? It will vary depending on the visa type. And one of the things that happened during my intake interview, um, because we were intaked separately, (laughs) was that they put my paperwork in with Damien's. Because apparently they process student visas faster, typically faster than the other kinds. Um, So his should be turned around within two to three weeks, but it could be longer for other types of visas. And all of these numbers are estimates, which is why the lead up to these things is so full of butterflies in your stomach because you don't really know the answer. But in this case, it should be about two weeks before we have it arrive in the mail. So because you're going with Damien, who's applying for the student visa and the student visa is quicker, does that mean that you get to ride on his coattails and get yours approved faster than might otherwise be approved? So officially, no. And like when you walk into the, for me, it was the VFS global system. It wasn't actually the French embassy or the French consulate or anything, which I thought it would be. So you walk in and it has signs all up saying, you know, these people are not part of the visa process. They have no impact on you getting approved. They cannot affect the timeline. Please leave our agents alone is basically what all these signs are saying. But having, you know, having gone through it, the very nice lady that was helping me, she did help my husband earlier in the process. And she said, oh, I didn't realize you were his wife. I could have done this intake at the same time. And I'm like, we don't know the rules. We were told to do it in this order and we're not going to mess with the system. But she goes, yeah, you know, and she literally said it to me. They usually process student visas faster. So I'm going to put yours in the same folder as his so that hopefully they're processed at the same time and more quickly. So she obviously was caging it in a lot of cover your butt language. Like I don't have actual control, but she was clearly trying to do things that can help it go faster and go in tandem for the two of us. Going back to earlier conversations we've had where your life is literally kind of 
at the whims of whoever you happen to be sitting across. Yeah. And so you're sitting, you were sitting across a really delightful woman who hopefully passes that folder on to a very delightful person as well. And everything's delightful. (laughs) Yes. And it's, you know, you're, you're leaving the American culture, which is all service based. You know, I will do for you anything because this is my job, whatever. And going into a culture that isn't that way. It's like, I have a job, but it isn't to serve you and cater to your every woman need. And I'm in this kind of in-between space. So the person who's helping me at VFS Global, she wasn't French. She's, I actually don't think she was originally American either because she had an accent. So it's, it's like this in-between tribe of people who almost have their own set of rules. And you're just sitting there with your hands clasped going, I'm going to be the nicest person I know how to be so that hopefully the universe rewards me with good karma. Like it is, you you are, you know, invoking superstition and prayer and hope and all the etiquette you can muster, hoping one of these things will rub off like a lucky penny. It's like being six years old and realizing you haven't been your best and it's December 1st and you're going to be the best girl possible because Santa's coming in 25 days. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But in fact, you know, I was so nervous leading up to it, especially because I am applying for a non-work style visa and yet I'm running a business in the U.S. And that makes me really nervous. Like, am I following the rules? My lawyer, you know, he gave me the advice. He said, this is how this has been treated in the past when I help in this kind of situation. As long as you are not taking a job from a French person or having French clients, that's not going to be considered working in France. But I'm still, I was so nervous about it. Like, what are they going to say? I'm picturing like, like an FBI interrogation with a lamp over my head and like a concrete room. It wasn't. Yeah. And my lawyer was trying to say, like, it's really not an interview. It is an intake process. They are literally just making sure that you have given all the pieces of paper you're supposed to in the right order. That is it. And I mean, they may be watching for red flags because after you so you sit and talk to, talk to the person who's taking all your intake paper and... um like she did have me add a piece of paper while I was there to, because our, our lodging takes us for the si- first six months of our time in Paris. And so she said, can you please handwrite a letter to the French people that says, I intend, like, I know that my lodging ends in six months and I fully intend to find permanent lodging when I arrive. So she guided me through that and I hand wrote it in my very best penmanship. <laughs> And then after that, after that process is done, we'll drop points if you're sloppy. Oh, definitely. <laughs> They're right. Cross your T's. Um, and then you wait for the biometric part of it, which is that they go in and they're just taking your fingerprints and they're taking a picture of you and stuff. That was a really interesting part of the process because we got somebody really talkative. This guy was super, super nice. And I left it and I'm like, wow, that was just such a pleasant experience. And Damien, he's from Jersey. So he sees everything through the lens of, you know, I'm prey, they're a predator, they're probably out to get us. And he's like, yeah, well, his job is to, you know, disarm you and get you to reveal things that you didn't know you were revealing. And I'm like, 
wow, you know, that could be true. And he's a mole. He's a plant. (laughs) He's a French spy. (laughs) But wait, it's worse than that. (laughs) And for the for the listeners, this is a phrase that we have used with my husband because no matter what we say, he then comes up with, but wait, it's worse than that. So to sum up, it was very straightforward. It really felt like you go going to the DMV for any American who's ever gotten a driver's license. It just feels like you're going to the DMV, handing them the right paperwork, getting your photo taken, and you're sent on your merry way, hoping that the system is now going to work and that you will get your visa in your passport in time to move to France. So application process complete i i mean when we did that here in spain like and it was done and it was out of our hands and we're like okay you know our lawyer says this is this is good we should be fine the process was pretty smooth um actually my process wasn't pretty smooth but the boys you know their process was pretty smooth and mine was amusing was that because of owning a business or what what was the complication? No, no. So all of us were able to go on on Shane's digital nomad visa. Oh. So we we all have a digital nomad visa, but he's the head of household and you know, the main income that that supports the family. And so he's kind of the the foundation, right? Yeah. For for all of us. That's more like um no, mine, mine was complicated because and we'll we'll go into this in a future episode. Because I think we've talked about this in the past to be very <laughs> unclear for our audience. <laughs> I think we have recorded this conversation in the past, which would be dropped in a future episode. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but the problem with my visa application process was that when the lawyer submitted the paperwork to the Spanish government, the Spanish government returned Oliver's paperwork and Shane's paperwork and Oliver's paperwork. And mine didn't get sent back. And, you know, they basically sent it with, you know, everything's good. You're all clear to go. But there was no downloadable paper that we had to take to the police station to do the biometrics, to do the fingerprints, to then get the ID card that allows you to do all the things in Spain and travel, right, as well. So our lawyer submitted multiple requests to the Spanish government. This document's missing. Can we please have this document? And I think, you know, in my imaginings, someone, you know, did this, put put two copies of my son's file in the email, my husband's file, hit send, took a big rubber stamp and stamped a piece of paper declaring it done. It was filed and put away. And now no matter what the fuck you do, pardon my language, it's like, we're done with this. I'm sorry. This is case closed, right? Case closed, done, finito. And so... We never got anything back from the Spanish government. <clears throat> and um, the papers that, I mean, we didn't get back the paperwork that said, yes, this is approved and here's the ID number, right? That didn't, that didn't happen. And with some of the paperwork that we had, there was an ID number for me in one of them, one of the, one of the documented pieces of paper. And we took that into the police station. And started filing with that paperwork because, well, I didn't know it until we got there. We got there. The guy's looking through it. He's like, oh, here's your your national ID number. I was like, oh, it was there all along. Fantastic. 
let's process this. So he starts to process it. And no, I'm sorry, this is actually not your number. When I put it in the system, somebody else's name comes up. And I'm like, oh, well, that's sketchy. So it was a thing. (laughs) And things that could happen, you know, like think about navigating the American health healthcare system and how often there are billing errors, right? And it's a pain in the butt and it's 17 phone calls and it's time you shouldn't have to put into something, but at least it's your own system in your own language. So this is that on steroids because you don't know the system, you don't know the language, and you're putting not just one like healthcare bill in somebody's hands and in their control, but literally you're putting your life and where you're going to raise your family in somebody else's control. And one little clerical error in a system you don't understand, in a language you don't know, and you can be looking at months of chaos. And thankfully, that wasn't the case for me. It was just 24 hours. That was it. And it got all cleared up, and it was good. But credit the lawyer with making it as easy as it was. Or was the system better than you expected? Yeah, because they have, like, we know people who don't have our lawyer who applied for the digital nomad visa in July, and they still don't have it approved. Like, they submitted their paperwork in July. Wow. And it's still not approved because they, like, I guess the government keeps coming back and asking their lawyer for more information or different information. And I don't know the details now, but I know initially they didn't have the right information submitted. So our lawyers were fantastic. And again, I like I can't say it enough how thankful I am that we had good lawyers who were very closely watching the evolution of this visa as it was off the ground and running and were able to detect some of the problems as they were unfolding. Yeah. Reasons why this journey is as expensive as it is, because we need helpers. I mean, technically... We can do this on our own, but we have to be realistic with our resources, like our time and our energy, because, you know, you're changing your entire life, but it doesn't mean your entire life stops while you're changing your entire life. We were just on the phone with a French accountant because taxes is another big thing that we're going to have to figure out for a future episode. We can talk about it for sure. But I asked him, like, what's the what are some of the biggest mistakes you see new expats make? And he one of the three was trying to do their own taxes. He said, after the first year, it's not that bad. But the first year, first of all, you won't have your tax ID number, apparently, according to this guy. Secondly, because you don't have your tax ID number, the whole thing will be paper and pen. Wow. Yeah, right. And again, this is different by country. I have found that France is definitely more archaic. Like I have to have wet signatures on a lot of things that aren't required for other countries. So, you know, it's hard because you and I are both very capable women. We believe in knowing how to do things, but you really have to get very real with yourself in this process. Yes, you could do it yourself, but should you? And what are you risking by by being cheap with your money? Because really, that's what it comes down to for me. It's just, am I being cheap with my money or am I being cheap with my time? Being cheap with my money, I frequently end up being cheap with my time because I end up having to spend more time fixing a mess that I could have approached more strategically, given that I am a grown-up person with a grown-up income. I have choices I can make with my money 
So don't be cheap with it through this process is the thing I keep telling myself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it's it's so much of an emotional roller coaster already. <clears throat> the more red flags you see that you can avoid, <clears throat> um, the more yellow flags you see that you can avoid. Like. <laughs> Yeah. The degree to which you can use whatever financial resources you have to make the process easier, it's its so worth it. It is so worth it. But you have to be careful, too, because people know you're in a vulnerable moment, right? And so then sometimes unscrupulous people will be like, no, this is way too hard. You need to pay me to help you with it, right? Like all the helpful people at the train stations who want you to pay them to, like, walk you across the train station or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Costa Rica or whatever. Yeah. Which, yeah. again, sometimes that's the best couple of bucks you could have spent because you literally didn't know where your train was. But other times you can take a deep breath and go, okay, no, I can adult this on my own. And so that's another drain of energy is you're constantly having to evaluate whether this is something that you can do on your own or really merits having help. Right. Yeah. And it's a situation by situation, moment by moment decision. Yeah. There is no guidebook. <laughs> and the guidebook's general enough that only half of them are probably going to apply to your situation, like all half of the recommendations. <laughs> Which is the other really nice thing about hiring help. Even like this accountant we were just talking to, we haven't hired him yet. We just paid him a consultation fee to get clear answers on our situation. Because Googling can only get you so far. Exactly. Now, just out of curiosity, is this a, a stateside accountant who works with expats in France, or is this an accountant in France who works with American expats? That is an excellent question. And this will definitely be an episode all on its own. But to give a teaser, this guy is a French person, a French accountant. He is a member of a 45 person team who is licensed to do both U.S. and French taxes, and they have an office in Miami in the U.S. So nice. technically, we could hire this guy to do our French taxes and our U.S. taxes and my business taxes. But he was saying it's very common for people to hire their team to just do the French taxes and keep working with their U.S. accountant. And he's like, if you're happy with that person, there's no need to change that system. That's great. That's a short answer to a very big question. <laughs> yeah. And this is, I mean, this is a situation that we're dealing with too, because we don't have an accountant and we have a lead for a Spain-based accountant who works with foreigners. And I've also heard, and you know, this is one person's opinion, right? But it kind of seems to... I, I wouldn't, I don't want to dismiss it out of hand because it's one person's opinion. But I've heard that, you know, here in Spain, the attitude is like, well, it is what it is and you just deal with it. There's no, I'm going to do the best I can for you to mitigate this high tax situation. I'm going to find some loopholes for you, right? That's not a cultural thing here. They're not going to go out of their way. They're like, this is, you know, I did, I plugged it into QuickBooks. This is what you owe, right? Like that, I'm, I'm not saying that they use QuickBooks, but but it's like, here's our formula. This is the system. This is what you owe. You know, it's, that's that's just it. That's it. End of story. It's interesting because it's cultural difference, but also the U.S. tax system is bananas complicated. 
there are countries where paying your taxes is as easy as filling out a postcard. Like that would. Right. So we have to remember, too, that it might not be that they're taking a laissez faire attitude. It might simply be, no, it's two check boxes and you're done. They're like, why are you trying to complicate it? Not realizing that the American experience of taxes, <laughs> it's harder than calculus. They, yeah. they, t- they say you can do your own, but can you? Do you want to? Like, do you want to? How much, you know, it's like, how much money do you end up leaving on the table if you do your own taxes? Because you don't know the tax code and the tax code's always changing or how many it's just yeah and i think i think some of that's very intentional because i think so too <laughs> yeah because of things i don't want to get into <laughs> most of the systems that seem broken were very carefully designed to do whatever it is they're actually doing so that thing yeah. might not be good for the populace but that might not be the driving motivation behind what set up the system in the first place yeah, exactly. Exactly. So in my mind, you and Damien went down to San Francisco. You did the interviewing process. You put the paperwork in. You had the nice lady who was so sweet, the super nice guy who took your photo and was extra chatty and nice, who may or may not be a French spy. <laughs> and then in my mind, you left the building and you were like, let's go get mimosas and celebrate this amazing thing that we've done. Um, because that's what we did because <laughs> it was such a big milestone for us. So tell us what happened after you left. Uh, yeah, we did exactly that. We So we were obviously in California, which the Mexican food is <laughs> there. Oh, so, water I know. Oh, my gosh. I probably just was really mean to you with that. So we went to a lovely Mexican restaurant. It was Tequila Tuesday or whatever. I don't remember what it was, but we got a big old p- pitcher of margarita. and. Yeah, we just were like, oh my gosh. The, honestly, so leading up to the appointment, I was all a Twitter. I mean, I, I even have a post on Instagram of me like jumping up and down like a buffoon. And it was both excitement, but it was also nervous energy. I was just so nervous. And so then I did the, you know, event. And so then afterwards, it's kind of a release of steam. It's like really pushing the button on the pressure cooker of letting all of that nervous energy out. And then the next day, I was totally wiped out, just completely exhausted, hit a brick wall and needed sleep because of the emotional outpouring of the previous day. But the weather was beautiful. So we went, uh, there was no fog, no San Francisco fog. We went to the Golden Gate Bridge. We drove Lombard mm-hmm. Street and, you know, did, we played tourist. We walked across the Golden Gate Bridge, which is a very cool two mile walk. Didn't realize that. Nice. Damien sacrificed a hat to the San Francisco winds. So we left Painful. the best there. <laughs> and, uh, and, oh, and of course there was the cat. We did take the cat with us. This was the, test event for having the cat in his carrier for many 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 hours on end he was such a trooper he is not i would not call him an excited travel kitty he's a resigned (laughs) travel kitty but he is doing a great job that's fantastic you know i think when you get to paris you need to get that boy like he needs to have a steady supply of pate that he gets once a day as a reward for his hard work 
and everything that he's done, the sacrifices that he has made for the family. I because I he have bought be- a very big, huge bag of human quality freeze-dried salmon, I think it is. It's made oh, for nice. cats, but it's it's human quality. And yeah, we call it kitty crack. And no matter what mood he's in, it's always a yes. So we're bringing that with nice. us. And Good. in a future episode, what I'm most nervous about, and I don't know the solution yet, is there are no screens on the windows in the homes in Paris. And he's an indoor kitty. And we're going to be on like the seventh floor with a tiny little, like, you know, not a balcony, but the French door window things that open. So stay tuned because that's one of the big kitty things I'm going to be figuring out once I'm there. But he's a smart boy. I don't think he'll decide to fly. Yeah, but he's also going to be 13 soon and we get older and our balance changes. At least it happens to me as a human. So I don't know. It's just mama, mama bear worries. I'm sure you worry about things for your son that probably will never happen. True. True. Is that your son I hear in the background? He's like, what? What about me? Well, let's wrap this up today because that way we can actually record more episodes to share later. Excellent. All right. So until next time, what is our word in French today? Um, A bientôt. Until very soon. A bientôt. Get the vaya bien. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Bonjola. If you did, the best thing you can do is share it with another person brave enough to move abroad. See you next time.